This is episode 19 of Helmet Theory Podcast. What's up, everybody? It's Matt Hupp here. This is an episode that Nichols and I got to do a couple of weeks ago. We interviewed a guy named Matthias Roberts. He's the author of a book called Beyond Shame, Creating a Healthy Sex Life on Your Own Terms, and the host of the podcast Queerology. So this was a really cool conversation, and we hope you guys enjoy. Here we go. Dude, how how are things in your world? You know, they are what they are right now. (laughs) It is. It just keeps getting crazier. Yeah. Yeah, truly. truly. Like I thought, I thought coronavirus was a pretty crazy time, you know? I mean, that whole thing alone was enough to, for everyone to remember for a long time. And then with all the uh, racism and the police brutality, that whole conversation, man, it is just, yeah. Oh, it's going nuts. Yeah. It's a and wreck. Where are, you, where are you located at, Matthias? I'm in Seattle. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. So we're down here in, uh, in the South of Fayetteville, Arkansas. So right. it's get it's starting to get nuts down here. I'm sure you're, uh, he lived, didn't you tell me you lived here, right? Mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. Whoa. Okay. So I, well, I went to JBU, so I, I lived there for five years. That's right. Almost six. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, well, I've been, I've been seeing what's going on in Fayetteville. So that's been, it's been fun to see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, let's let's start out. Tell us about you. Great. Tell us who you are, what you do, and yeah. So my name my name is Matthias. Um, I am primarily a therapist uh, based in Seattle, Washington, uh, but I'm also an author, a speaker, and podcaster, uh, doing a lot of work around uh, the intersections of faith, uh, specifically Christianity, and LGBTQ issues. So, uh, and then and sexual shame as well. So I I have a podcast called Queerology. Uh, which kind of is these intersections of how do we live better as queer people of faith. Uh, And then I recently published a book called Beyond Shame, Creating a Healthy Sex Life on Your Own Terms, uh, which is all about how do we recover from the sexual shame that we were given in purity culture. So that's kind of what I do. A little bit of it, at least. (laughs) Is is that all? That's it? That's it. That's it. (laughs) That's a guy with no passions and... That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, so it's funny that um, that we're having you on. One of our first episodes was, um, it was kind of the theme was gay Christians. And we had our friend Corey and her fiance, Jess, which you've met Corey. Yeah, I know Corey. And, oh, awesome. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Corey's the one who pointed me in your direction initially. I can't remember how it all worked out, but um, the gay Christian thing was, I feel like a lot of people thought we were trying to be edgy and like that's kind of low-hanging fruit in the, <laughs> totally. in the edgy part of the evangelical world mm-hmm. and it's not that we were trying to be edgy at all it's actually just that we were looking for guests and we had a friend and we thought that's a what a unique experience and so here we are with you kind of doing the same thing and you know like you and I talked before we're not gonna the, the goal is never I feel like we get criti- criticism from some of our people about mm-hmm. like well I wanted to know x y and z like like we're going to get you on here to like you are the voice for gay Christians and you need you need to now defend scripture and give us an exegesis and the whole thing and uh no that's not how we do things at all but <laughs> great 
mean, yeah, you're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I mean, Otherwise, I can do it. I can do it, but I just, it's not my favorite thing to do. So, <laughs> well, I, I think we're interested in some of that to a degree. Like, it, it's always fun to hear perspective. I, I wouldn't, we're not really ever interested in debates or in making people like prove themselves mm-hmm. in, in any topic, um, not just this one, but. So anyway, let's talk a little bit. Let's just, let's rewind. I'd love to hear, uh, I know all the, the bullet points about what you currently do and how you're helping people and all that kind of stuff. But what about yeah. um, the road that led you here? How did you get to this place? Yeah, um, yeah so, so I, I grew up in a uh, borderline fundamentalist Christian home. home. Uh, I think that's the easiest way to describe it. Like my, my parents uh, converted to Christianity in their uh, early 30s uh, from from families that were Christian adjacent, like very kind of moral and and I mean Midwestern families. I'm from uh, Wisconsin and Iowa, so mm. I mean, that was, was very much a part of our blood. But they kind of um, in, in evangelical language gave their lives to Christ in in their early 30s Amen. Uh, and <laughs> and <laughs> and so i was born into that just a few years after that uh, my parents were working for a uh, non-denominational christian camp in in rural wisconsin and uh, so i grew up in this kind of evangelical uh very much like we're we're going to spread the gospel uh and so, you know, church and this Christian camp and Awana and VBS and all of those things were just part of my daily life. Uh, and I gave my life to Christ to, again, to use that language <laughs> when I was four. Sure. Um, four? Mm-hmm. Wow. Holy yeah. cow, man. You must have been super sanctified. Oh my gosh. It was, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I, re- I mean, I still, I still, it's one of my earliest memories and I, I still remember that night to a point, right? Like I wasn't very old, but I was at a wana and of course. They were talking, right? They were talking about you know the 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 prayer and the path to salvation and and the fear of the Lord and I mean I was driving home with my mom uh after that and I remember we got home, I opened the doors, looked up at the sky and at the stars and and was like, this is something I think I want to do. Like, I love Jesus. And so I asked my mom, like, how do I, how do I do this? And we prayed and I I think I expected something magical to happen, but that was, (laughs) that was kind of that. And, and my faith has been something that's been so deeply important to me ever since. But this huge complication kind of got thrown into the mix when I was you know, 10, 11, started realizing that I was attracted to guys. And um, so I didn't you really were know. born gay and you didn't choose it. How did that? I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Oh, we're going to have this conversation. Okay. No, 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 no. No, this is not that place. <laughs> That's our other podcast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That is an interesting dynamic, though, because as a kid that grows up in the evangelical, like you said, fundamental world, uh, Christianity's for the most part, pretty easy. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. as a kid, especially you were, you, I mean, you get an early start. So it's like your Christianity, your Christian experience at that age and through your young years had to have looked like 
okay, don't lie. Don't back talk, be respectful, like kind of normal things. I wouldn't even call a lot of those Christian things. And Christianity in, in the West, in America as a young kid, for the most part is pretty easy. Like you're not kicking any crazy drug habits, you know? So it, right. it had to have been your experience, like you said, as a young man who's going, wait, I'm attracted to guys and that's not okay. Right. <laughs> Right. How, how old were you? 10, 11. I mean, that, that's when I started realizing it. Like, I wouldn't say I didn't have that language for it. I didn't sure. know what was going on. But it, it was around then that I started realizing that I had feelings for guys or right. was, was at least aroused. Uh, and yeah. and then I, I would say, you know, 12, 13, I was in Boy Scouts. And as I started hearing the guys start talking about women, that's when I kind of started putting pieces together. Like, oh, they're talking about women the way that I feel about them. Wow. And that was kind of the, oh, no. Like, I, I think this is what they call homosexuality. Like, I, I think that's what this is. And, and that freaked me out. I, I don't remember, like, any necessarily explicit teaching in my environment that homosexuality was wrong, evil, a sin. Like, I mean, it was it was around me in ways that were kind of tacit, right? Like, so I, somehow I knew deep within my bones that it was deeply wrong and evil and that I was going to go to hell, but I don't remember how I knew that. And it was terrifying of course because, was. Yeah. yeah, because I didn't like, I didn't remember choosing, right. I didn't remember choosing this, but, but everything in me, and the world that I was surrounded by, and as you know, I started reading more, there was this whole narrative, like your joke earlier, that somehow I chose this, or I must have done something wrong, or something right. terrible must have happened in my childhood that I don't remember, and, or it's a punishment from God, you know, any of those things. And I kept trying to figure out, like, what went wrong? And there were no answers. Joke. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> It's a good joke. <laughs> okay, okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page because I, I get in trouble a lot for my wife from him mm. just for saying extremely inappropriate things. <laughs> oh man! But it's—I it mean—it speaks to that it's... reality, though, right? Like right. the reality in, in this narrative that I think so often still is very present within within our churches yeah. is that somehow it's a choice, right? whether it's a personal choice or even whether it's a cultural choice, like if, if that particular reading of Romans one of whether that's a personal thing or a societal thing, it's a choice that you're responsible for. And therefore you have to do something about it, which well, is insidious. My, my thing with that, why in hell would you ever choose that? <laughs> right. So and, and the, where I come from with that is like, I have a personal friend who, who told me just to get, give me some perspective one time. She said, uh, Matt, like, why would I choose to have to come out mm -hmm. every day? Why right. would I choose? Like, I didn't choose this. I have to come out. I mean, I'm doing my daily thing at some point, at some place at the super supermarket whatever like i have to come out in some form or fashion every single day mm -hmm. you don't have to do that mm -hmm. and i was like wow yeah you're right i don't mm -hmm. that that's a privilege right? right so right 
I feel like we've, our culture, it's interesting because we've, I get, when I say we, I'm talking really about the way that at least Nichols and I grew up. It sounds like you grew up pretty similarly in the very white heterosexual middle class for the most part, I guess you could say like very staple or what I grew up to think as a staple thing. So when you throw any sort of a kink in the mix there, it, it, we don't know how to explain that. And mm-hmm. I, I think I, I've said this so many times that whether or not people agree or disagree with, uh, with homosexuality, whether or not that's okay, or is it a sin or wherever you land on that, I think that as the church, we've done a terrible job of, of walking with people through that, that thing. Um, or of even caring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I mean, it's so easy truthfully, not to even care because if the the standpoint that we grew up in, I'm sure you did too, Matthias. If you're not like us, then you're wrong. Right. That was the standpoint that we were taught. Right. You know. So. So you're so you're preteen. You kind of start putting two and two together. <laughs> Things are making a little bit more sense. Also, your whole mind and body and emotions are just flooded with hormones and you're changing and everything's oh, how the heck I, uh, I mean to say that it was terrifying would be an understatement um yeah. like i i would beg i mean i so distinctly remember begging with god nightly in oh. bed in the dark saying god like this is not what i want hmm. change me i just want to be normal i don't normal. want this mm-hmm. And as that continued, I mean, there was this this real sense in me of like, oh, I need to hide this. Like, no one can find out about this. I don't want my parents to know. I don't want my pastors to know. No one can find out because I, I was scared of what they would do. Like, I remember reading Leviticus 18 uh, or, or 20, one of those two, where they talk about the stoning and, and, and going to hell and thinking like, oh, this might actually happen to me. Like, what if they find out and I get stoned, right? Which is somewhat irrational, but as, you know, an 11-year-old kid, it, it also makes a little bit of sense sure. <laughs> in some terrifying ways. Yeah. And, and so that's when, I mean, I would describe it now using, you know, my today language is that's when, when I started splitting, where there was this part of myself that I knew was, was there that I kept that I had to separate myself from. So building up this kind of external persona and, and this trying to act straight, be straight, which, you know, some people are really good at that. I was not. <laughs> That's a funny I, term anyway. What does it mean to act straight? I know, I know what you mean when you say that, but I'm just mm-hmm. kind of zooming out a little bit and I hear that kind of stuff and I kind of go, wait, what is that? I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny that that's the standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, so that makes me think about like all the things that Hep and I have had to undo mm-hmm. or unravel or deconstruct, if you will, in our faiths. That, that makes me think about like the persona that, or the split that you, you just said that you referenced. There had to be a, a part of you that was so afraid of people finding out. So you have to put forth this quote unquote manly version mm-hmm. of you right which again is a relative 
term, but I'm sure you're, you're about to share this part, but like, I, I'm really curious at some point in this conversation to hear how you unraveled all of that, because that mm-hmm. had to be something that you unlearned or you right. deconstructed well, that's, at some point. That's kind of what you're alluding to, right? When you, when you say things like, I had to, uh, how did you phrase it just a second ago? I had to, uh, he said he, be, split, he had a split. No, uh, no. When we, when you said about the being a man or something, how, how, I don't remember how you phrased it, but. Oh, how to act straight. Act straight. That's what it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What you're, what you're kind of alluding to using different words is I need to put on a, a sense of masculinity. Right. Or, or a bullshit version of masculinity. It's not even a real masculinity. Totally. To, to fit in. I mean, it's a pressure to, to act like the other guys. So that, I mean, for me, I I distinctly remember like studying the way that other guys walked, which seems so innocuous now, but like just watching them walk and trying to walk that same way or noticing how much I talk with my hands and noticing that other guys didn't seem to do that as much. So trying to like freeze and make sure I wouldn't talk with my hands. Like everything was calculated. And so, I mean, flash forward a few years when I finally told my aunt, I I think I was 20 when I came out to my aunt and and she says, oh yeah, we knew that. <laughs> and how pissed I was because I was like, I thought I was doing such a good job. <laughs> they they knew it. All all of that's interesting to me too. And and I know I keep interrupting, so have some grace with me, I guess, <laughs> or try to forgive me there. Or cut um, him off. <laughs> I, I just think of the awkwardness that even I felt as mm-hmm. a teen trying to grow up and be accepted and all of that. And I can't even imagine the level of that, that you experienced. Like, mm-hmm. cause we all go through some Absolutely. form of that, but Absolutely. holy crap, man, that that's intense. I, I never, like, I can picture you like talking with the guys or whatever, and you forcing yourself to put your hands in your pocket. So you don't talk with your hands more. Right. You know, like that kind of, and I'm just like, I never dealt with that. That's mm-hmm. wow. That's, a, that's insane. But that, I'm becoming know. increasingly more aware of the amount of, for lack of better terms, for the amount of privilege that I, I grew up with. I mean, as a straight white American man or young man, Christian. Yeah. Christian. Yeah. I mean, everything about me was the societal norm. Um, and so when you talk, I, I'm just like Nichols said, I'm kind of like adolescence was awkward enough, you know, learning how to, talk to people and be social and the sexual thing is happening mm-hmm. in you and the whole thing. And right. Holy crap, dude. And then you throw that on it. Yep. So yep. you're 20 and you decide I'm going to go for it. I'm going to come out and you talk to your aunt and mm-hmm. no surprise there. And you, okay. So <laughs> where, where does that take you? <laughs> yeah. So I had, I ended up, my parents ended up finding out when I was 15 uh, my mom found a book that I had checked out from the library in my room that was, it was called Working Out, but it was this kind of thinly guised homoerotic book of, I mean, it's just full page spreads of these, of these men wearing next to nothing. And my mom found that book and she kind of put two and two together and we had to talk <laughs> about it. And, and so then, I mean, from, from that point, once my parents found out, it, it was kind of this sense of, 
I mean, that was at the height of these ex-gay ministries. So there was Exodus International and Focus on the Families, Love Wins Out or Love One Out. Um, like all of this rhetoric uh, that was happening, particularly in the early 2000s, that was this idea that you can change your sexual orientation. And so my mom was reading this. My dad was hearing some of it from my mom. I was reading it. This whole idea, it reinforced this idea that if I just tried hard enough or prayed hard enough or, or worked hard enough on my daddy, supposed daddy issues, like all of these things, then eventually I would become straight. And so we, we tried that. I, I thankfully didn't end up going to ex-gay therapy, but huh. everything in my world was informed by ex-gay rhetoric. So eventually I get to college. You know, I'm 19. I uh, go to school at the, at the small christian college in in middle of nowhere arkansas um which many of your listeners may be familiar with uh and i i hire not hire i, I go to the school's counseling center asking for ex-gay therapy like in my intake form i say i have quote-unquote same-sex attraction because that's what i called it i i wasn't comfortable calling myself gay i'm same-sex attracted and i want to change that and I, I walk into this office of this therapist and, and the therapist that I've seen somehow, and I still think this is the grace of God, um, has been working at these intersections for a lot of his career. And one of the first things he said to me was, Matthias, sexual orientation rarely, if ever, changes. Uh, and if it does change, it's a miracle. So the question that we're going to be working on is not how do you change your sexual orientation because that doesn't really happen. The question is how do you live as a faithful Christ follower realizing that this may be an ongoing thing. And that like it changed my world. Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It felt like truth because I mean, in some ways it felt like this kind of like, oh no, this is something I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life. But even hearing that felt so true to my experience of, you know, seven years previous of trying to change and not getting anywhere of lying my way through my mom asking me, like, are you feeling anything towards girls? Like all of these, these experiences that I had felt validated in the sense of I hadn't experienced a single iota of change, no matter how much I was trying to manufacture it happening. So he said that the second thing he said was, this also isn't something that you chose. Hmm. And that also was huge because like I had said, I thought something had happened in my life that I had inadvertently chosen this. And, and, he, and he was like, no, that's not the way this works. <laughs> so those two things started this whole other journey of, of trying to figure out, okay, if this is actually part of who I am and it actually feels truly like it is part of who I am, then what does that mean for my life? And, and how do I live as a faithful Christ follower? Um, wow. So that's kind of what started this, this coming out journey and, and then eventually talking to my aunt and coming out to friends and, and kind of this, this slow over many, many years, um, slowly getting to the point of, of being fully out. Did you, did you feel like when you finally told everybody that I, I'm, I'm just for some reason picturing that you have like this list of people that you're like telling 
for some reason. But yeah. uh, once you got through that proverbial list, did did the majority of them say, well, of course, like we knew that. Or were there some people that were just like, holy crap, are you serious? Like we got to pray the gay away, like mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Or Yeah, it was a mix. I think okay. there certainly were folks who were surprised. I think most people, it wasn't a huge surprise. It was kind of like a, oh, that makes sense. Like okay. they may not yeah. have known, but it was kind of like, oh yeah, like I see that now. <laughs> okay. okay. And yeah, and I did I did have a list. Like I, I knew that before I came out publicly on Facebook, I wanted to tell a lot of the closest people to me in my life and worked my way through that that list and having these really hard conversations and and you know, with my sisters and with my family members and right. how terrifying each one of those conversations were. How important was your faith during this time? Like, were, were you actively pursuing the relationship with Jesus that you had been shooting for? I mean, was this still at the front and center? It was, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that was, I mean, I can't, I can't remember all the language that I used at the time, but yeah. it very much, like, I remember telling friends, like, I don't want to twist the Bible to what I feel or what I believe. I want to twist my life to the Bible. Like that was the kind of front and center thing for me. Cause I, um, I think my, my, between my sophomore and junior year, I had started hearing about uh, that, that, that there was a small group of people out there who believed that you could be gay and Christian uh, and that you could be in a relationship uh, with with uh, someone of the same gender and and live a Christ honoring life and I mean my initial response to that was like absolutely not like that's not true. <laughs> it's funny that you're fighting this internal battle with this topic and yet you're like nope can't happen. Right, right, yeah. Like this is such this a sense like, of self denial almost. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, I even remember writing a blog post I think around that time that was. <laughs> that said something along the lines of no matter what my convictions on this will like, will never change. Like this is, <laughs> this is wrong. Uh, but there, there were all of these people that were, that were uh, pushing me towards a life of celibacy and saying, I have to stay single. Like that is when we, when we talk about forming our lives around Christ as, as, quote unquote same-sex attracted people uh we are called to celibacy we're called to being single and that is just the calling uh and kind of blanket what it is and and i remember thinking kind of that summer between my sophomore and junior year like and readings in scriptures like paul talking about celibacy and, and how it's a gifting and how uh you know he kind of describes the people who are called to celibacy and and the people who burn with passion and i remember reading that and thinking i identify a whole lot more (laughs) with the folks who burn with passion as opposed to these people who have this gift of celibacy and and thinking if i'm going to make this choice to be celibate with the rest of my life to be single for the rest of my life mind you i was like 19 20 years old uh, then I sure as hell better know what these other people are saying. Yeah. I can tell you right now, I wouldn't have done that. I would not have, 
I mean, I, I, I'm just, I'm trying to normalize it and say, if, if, if for some reason someone would have come to me and said, Hey Matt, Hey, Hey, 20 year old Matt, uh, you can't date, marry or engage in sexual intercourse with a woman ever again. If you want to truly follow Christ, mm-hmm. I, I, I would have said that I would have done that, but I I would have been out, dude. I would have been like, yeah, that's not happening. Yeah. What's funny is we put that we put that on gay people. Um, Christians put that on gay people a lot, like the celibacy thing. But I just, it's so it's so funny to me because like the same people would say that like young man messing around with his girlfriend is also not okay, but we just don't we don't build the boundaries around that person the way we do a gay person right very different standards so where where my mind goes with that matthias is so at some point based on what i've read about you there has been a shift in maybe how you read the bible Mm -hmm. question mark (laughs) question mark to a, read the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, yes and no. Like, on some hands, the, the answer is obviously yes. <laughs> right. Like, from how 20-year-old me read the Bible to how uh, current me reads the Bible, yeah, it's different. In other ways, though, I still contend, people argue with me all, about this all the time, and I might be delusional in this sense, but I still contend that I hold a relatively conservative reading of Scripture. Okay. <laughs> like, I, I mean, sure, I definitely sit in pretty far left areas. Um, but when it comes to reading scripture and the ways that I still kind of hold the importance of scripture and, and, and the work of Jesus in this world, I think it still fits within orthodoxy. Um, I mean, I, I went and got a, a master's degree in theology and, and have done a lot of work in these areas. And granted, that may have radicalized me. <laughs> but... Um, I still contend that, that my reading of scripture is, is a relatively conservative one. Okay. So, so when you say relatively conservative, do you mean relatively literal? I don't. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. And so, and so, so that, that may, might be how a lot of people mm, hear that. Yeah. And that, that may be a departure. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause I, I, I did grow up in a, in a home and a family and my parents still very much read scripture in a, in a very literal sense okay. of we can, we can interpret the Bible literally word for word. Um, and that, that there's this supposed plain meaning of scripture, um, which I don't, I don't agree with anymore. Um, so I don't think we do either just to be mm-hmm. clear with you. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny about what you're saying is uh, I was talking to Corey the other day. I know I keep bringing Corey up, but I was talking to Corey the other day and she's in, I forget what it's called, but it's basically a leadership uh, cohort that yeah. through Matthew Vines. Yep. And um, she had mentioned us in our podcast to Matthew Vines and just like saying that she'd been on it and stuff like that. And he, like you, holds a pretty conservative view of the Bible and stuff. And I, I was telling somebody about it. It may have been Corey. I was telling somebody though. I was like, I was like, I have come that far where I'm more liberal than the gay guy. I'm more liberal than the gay Christian. <laughs> yeah, well, Matthew you know, Vines that, is more conservative than I am, for sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Have you said something earlier about how, like, a lot of straight Christians or even yourself would have said, like, I don't know that I would have 
chosen the path that Matthias had. I would, I would argue that I think that a lot of people like us growing up may not have believed everything we were taught as much as someone like Matthias. What do you mean? We didn't, we didn't have to believe it as strongly. Mm. I mean, like we didn't cling to it. We didn't have to cling to it because everything was going right in our world. Oh yeah. That's like, so I think that when, I mean, the Bible talks all about like how Jesus came to save and I don't mean any disrespect by this, but the least of these, uh, I'm right. mainly talking about how you and I were, are not the least of these, right? Like we were the mainstream straight white yeah. Christian. We were the kind of the status I mean, quo. We didn't have to struggle, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel like Matthias, you had a lot more struggle than we ever even dared to have. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I hope you see my heart behind what I just said. <laughs> I think, no, I think it does make a lot of sense because in, in some ways holding on to those things or believing these things was a lifeline for me. Right. Like it was, a, I had to believe these things and I had to believe them firmly in order for my entire world to stay together. Yeah. Because otherwise what else would I have? Right. Um, and and someone for told me, me that I couldn't date a girl or, or, what I, I couldn't be straight or whatever. I don't know that I would have believed in God the way I did before. Right. Right. I really don't. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I, I just, I'll be really honest with you. And I, I don't know if I have ever been able to be dishonest, but I don't think that I have historically loved Jesus enough to make such a hard decision. I think it's really easy for straight Christians to put the hammer on uh, LGBTQ people and and kind of just let them know hey man if you're gonna follow god this is kind of what it means but it's super easy to tell someone to make the radical decision it's kind of like i i remember um i remember doing some church work and there were some leaders kind of in my proximity that were saying all the right things about x y and z and i was sitting there going well, of course, it's easy for you to tell me to do that. It was kind of like when Nichols and I were growing up and all we wanted to do was be pastors. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what we were meant to do, you know? And then all these, all these guys who are on stage being pastors, getting the spotlight and all that's so stupid now, by the way, but that's kind of what we would have never said it like that, but that's what we craved. But I remember seeing those guys on stage being like, uh, you know, just be content, be content. It's like, yeah your job is at a coffee shop. I have to go to some crap job I hate every day, but sure. You tell me how easy it is to be content. And that's a mild example compared to, Hey, Matthias, God loves you. Don't ever date a man. Right. Right. (laughs) Crazy. Totally. Like I, I have this memory of being in college and as I was kind of wrestling with, am I going to be celibate or not? Uh, or am I going to commit myself to celibacy or not? And in chapel one day, like one of the, the big camp, like all campus gatherings. So like most of the student body were, was there and, and the president of the school getting up and talking about like their, their kind of recontinued commitment to uh, their stance on human sexuality and, and taking this very kind of supposed compassionate stance of, but enforcing celibacy 
and he he kind of said all these things and and here's how how this plays out on our campus and and the student body like after he said this like people stood up and cheered and clapped and i remember sitting there feeling so sick because i was like none of you know what this actually means like none of you have none of you know <laughs> what i'm going through right now hearing this and you telling me i will never be able to have these things that are just taken for granted. So that's what, that's what, when I hear that, I go, because we have listeners across the spectrum. Not everyone thinks it's a sin. Not everyone thinks it's okay. But hearing you say what you just said right there goes, okay, it makes me go, okay, no matter where you're at, can we, for the love of God, have a little empathy and a little compassion for people? Because we don't know that Matthias is sitting in row seven, seat C, having a mental and emotional breakdown because every single person around him is celebrating the fact that he can't ever explore his sexuality the way that he wants to. That is in, and not even sexuality, but love. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. Relationship. That right there just goes to show me how much I don't know, because I have, the conversation has primarily been a sexual sort of, relationship driven conversation, but just to say it so simply and just to say, no, 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 but I want to love somebody Mm -hmm. and be loved by somebody in a romantic way, in a deep spiritual way. Yeah. That's so wild. Mm -hmm. So I, I told you, I'm not going to put you on the spot or make you feel the need to be an apologist here, but I am curious and I know everyone listening is curious too. How how did you begin to reconcile your identity as a gay man and your identity as someone who's going to follow Christ? Because mm. I know that people have come at you a hundred thousand times and said, "Yeah, but blah 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 blah." This verse and that verse, and here's this and here's that. Mm. Like, yeah, I mean, it was a for me. It was it was a mix of things. Like the the first was finally after kind of starting to study this this conversation and see what else is out there in the theological realm, finally stumbling across someone who had a story similar to mine. Uh, and that was a guy named Justin Lee, who right my senior year of, of college published a book called Torn, Rescuing the Gospel from the Gay versus Christian Debate. Uh, and his story and the way that he thought about scripture and the way he thought about Christianity was so aligned with with what I believed and what I was passionate about reading that book. That was the first time that I was like, Oh, here's someone else who hasn't like, who isn't this like liberal Episcopalian, which at the time for me was like not Christian. Right. (laughs) Oh, I know. (laughs) Here's someone else who believes the same things about the Bible that I do and who has the story. And so it was reading that was a breath of fresh air. And at that time, there started to be kind of an explosion of resources. Uh, I, you know, I came out right after my senior year, right after I graduated, and, and it was just a few months later that that Matthew Vines kind of exploded onto the scene with his YouTube video and eventually his book. and And biblical scholars started publishing books with with scholarship, and so I was reading all of those things at the time. But what it kind of came down to for me was just the way that things don't add up. Uh, so, for example, the, the celibacy conversation, I mean, 
in scripture, we see celibacy, it's not talked about a whole lot, but we see celibacy talked about as a gifting, as something that is gifted. And and marriage as this kind of, uh, I mean, for Paul, depending on how you read Paul, like <laughs> not a preferred option, uh, but definitely a good option. But celibacy is a gift. And, and me looking at myself and all of my other friends who are in this category of where like, I certainly don't feel gifted to celibacy. <laughs> like, like that is, that is not what I feel in my body. Uh, and, and so for people to tell me like, no, clearly your gift is celibacy. This is what Paul is talking about. When, when we start studying this conversation on human sexuality, Paul had no conception of sexual orientation because that's sexual orientation is a modern thing, a modern invention, uh, or a modern discovery at least. Uh, like that didn't add up. And, and so then you start looking through scripture and, and seeing like, well, these, these old Testament stories uh, and the old Testament laws, like there's a lot of disconnect about how we apply those things or the Sodom and Gomorrah story. And, and it's the re- the reality that's paralleled with another story in, in judges, judges 19, right. Uh, that, that is almost the exact same story <laughs> of a person coming into a town and being raped by the town members um, and, and seeing like there's so much more going on in these stories and, and even within scripture saying like the sin of Sodom was, was a hospitality issue, not a sexuality issue, right? Like all of these different things and realizing like one, the Bible doesn't talk about this a whole lot. There's only six right. to seven verses. And two, when we start diving into them, there's not much consensus uh, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, the consensus that is there, at least in support of this argument that, that queer people should stay single uh, forever, or this, this supposed marriage is only between a man and a woman argument that, that is supposedly found throughout scripture. It's just, it wasn't there. And it, it took me probably five years <laughs> of study uh, to get to the point of where I was even comfortable seeing those things or asking those questions. But, but once I got there, it all fell apart. I mean, it, it's, it's a house of cards in some ways. So how does this conversation, you obviously went to college, you're a counselor now, you're helping tons of people work through the same stuff that you're talking about now. What are, what are you seeing, man? You, you talk to people all the time that are hurting. Mm-hmm. What perspective do you have through those conversations i mean it's it's no surprise <laughs> but just the the continued level of harm that is happening within our churches within our church communities i mean i now live in seattle and and anytime this this conversation of conversion therapy or ex-gay therapy comes up there are a whole lot of people here in seattle that are like think that was a thing of the past or think that's a thing that's, that doesn't really exist anymore. And, and having to have these conversations with folks of saying like, no, 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 no. Like this idea that you can change your sexual orientation or that you have to stay celibate is alive and well. And in fact, is kind of the most commonly accepted, like one variation of that, whether it's, it's ex-gay or this kind of celibacy argument. Like one of those or another is kind of the, the commonly ex- accepted thing across most churches in the United States today and how 
that's wreaking havoc on the lives of young queer folk who are who are waking up and, and realizing that that their sexuality may be more fluid or may not fit into these these boxes that that we're told is is acceptable um and because sexuality is so corely tied to who we are as people which is i mean I imagine for some people hearing a gay person say that like that that raises some flags but there's a common teaching in christian orthodoxy that we are sexual beings mm-hmm. <laughs> and from the church founders like <laughs> we're sexual beings and and sexuality is a connection to the divine like these are core parts of our christian teachings and so then to say that you have to cut this part off from of you from a very early age and, and split these things off the amount of damage that that's causing i mean it it simultaneously breaks my heart and makes me so angry so on on the flip side do you feel like there's something changing for the positive yeah yeah i mean so there's a conversation with two guys that came from that world too so totally right (laughs) yeah i mean just this conversation the and the reality that uh uh, there's a theologian by the name of, of James Allison who, who talks about this in some of his writings and speaking of right now, this current generation is the first generation in all of history of where queer kids, for the most part as a whole, are going through adolescence at the same time as their straight counterparts, right? So they're, they're learning how to date. They're learning all of these things in tandem, you know, at a normal developmental time, right? Whereas for me, like that adolescence, quote unquote, came, you know, at 24, 25, <laughs> yeah. trying to figure this out. Um, and so, so this reality of we have a generation for the first time being able to just live lives as relatively normal, quote unquote, normal right. in a quote unquote, normal society. Um, and then being able to speak about it and just be people. That's huge. Like the, this wave has started that we, we can't really, I don't think we can back away from that or, or get, I mean, there, there's attempts happening to back us away from that, but, um, but it's already there. Like we, we've realized like we can speak up about this and we can read scripture and we can, we can do theological work and be pastors and, and therapists and so on and so on in this world. And, and, and in some ways be relatively unbothered by the folks who are saying, no, you can't do that because well, no, we're, we've already figured out we can. <laughs> yeah. It's funny to me how many Christians have such strong opinions. Like I was taught not only on a spiritual level, but I was also on a political level, you know, and growing up in the South, like where we're from, your politics and your spiritual convictions, they're all kind of one thing. Right. And, and so I remember the first time that I ever said like, yeah, I mean, gay people can get married. I don't care. And people were like, I mean, people were really taken aback by that. I was like, it's so funny to me that like we would use our spiritual convictions, like even for those that think that this is just an abomination, like divorce is an abomination too, but you're allowed to do that. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, and under the same teaching, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and actually that was the first time that I ever really, I wouldn't say that I got the perspective of any of my gay friends fully. There was this sort of 
similar thing we both had whenever I went through a divorce and the way people responded, you know, you need to man up and you need to follow God and stick it out. Or you just all the kind of weird quirky advice people give you when they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And I remember talking with a gay friend and going like, man, I'm really hurt by church people. Mm. And I think I have a little taste of an inkling of what you've experienced probably your whole life. Mm. And I'm really sorry. Mm. (laughs) And it was just this moment where I went, whoa, like something's got to change. I just, and then, and then you become a pastor, you know, and I may have, I may have, I don't know who I was telling this to, but I remember talking to a, a guy in college and there were two things that happened. He's meeting with me as like a hesitant gay guy meeting with a pastor and he already doesn't trust me or he doesn't know what I'm about or any of that kind of stuff. And so I say, Hey, what's your name? Tell me about you. And he's like, well, I'm so-and-so and I'm gay. And then he stopped. It's kind of like, okay. I mean, do you have a favorite color? Do you like TV? Do you eat food? I mean, is there anything else about you? Like he just knew that was all I wanted to get to was the fact that he's gay. And now that's, I've got the information. Now we can talk about it. And I kind of was genuinely asking, Hey, what about you? Hmm. (laughs) And and then there was, you know, and that those moments are the funny ones where me and him can talk and we can riff and, but the, the conversations that aren't funny are the ones where it's like, how many people have to, tell you about all the times they've wanted to commit suicide before you realize that maybe you should treat people differently. Right. And it kind of pisses me off that that is what it takes. Mm-hmm. Like it takes us thinking that a gay person is going to kill themselves before we can accept them as human beings. That is so wild and messed up to me. I, I'd never have understood it. And for some folks, even that isn't enough. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Right. Cause, cause then we can take that and we can, I mean, I've heard it many, many, many times and twist it and say that, Oh, they want to take their lives because of the sin that is in their lives already. Right. And, and pin it all the way right back on and say, well, because they're struggling with this, of course, because it's sin. And like that is gaslighting and it's just, it's evil. It's evil. Yeah. You know, the irony, Nichols, about this is um, that even though we grew up in this world and and probably at some point held these very strong conservative views on different topics, um, is that a guy that is really close to Nichols and I, very few people, there's a select few people that he lets into this part of his life, but that is something that he feels and experiences every day, the same sex attraction and stuff. Now this is a guy who does ministry full time, but not, not from a, not the way you do where it's okay. And you've accepted it and you've kind of, you're doing open about it. Right, right, right. Like it's funny that we come from this place and can, and continued to have those same thoughts like growing up. Mm Mm-hmm okay, hey, you grew up in a world where this is very taboo, but how ironic is it that that a guy of influence in our lives would have that very issue in his life? And I say, I don't say issue with like a negative connotation. I just, generally speaking, something that he is experiencing. Here's what I think, man. For so long, I was the guy 
that preached against this and I never once had a relationship or a friendship, but a, a friendship without an agenda with anyone of the LGBTQ community. And until I had a friend that told me about this and I had a friend that was escorted out of a church whose family was asked to leave the church because of it. I never got it. I never understood it. I never had a conviction towards love until I knew somebody. And so that's what I'm saying. That's where I'm coming from. What if, but Nichols, you know, the argument is going to be that we can't, uh, we can't form our theology based on how we feel about our relationships or whatever. I think you said it better earlier, Matthias, but you said you were trying to, this is before yeah. you had accepted it. Right. The, the, the not twist scripture to my life, but, but twist my life to scripture. Right. Yeah. But I just, I can already hear people being like, well, yeah, I mean, just cause you know, somebody doesn't make it right or something like that. Okay. Well, let's say this. I thought I knew everything until I knew somebody, I got to know somebody that had a better argument from scripture. And then it opened my eyes to go, Holy crap. Like, uh, I don't know that much about this. Um, I'm just kind of re repeating everything. I'm throwing up the things that I've been taught. I really don't know what I believe about this, but I just found out that there's just as good of an argument for it being okay to be gay. Even if it's not though, even, even if they don't come to that conclusion, the question that I always find myself asking is, can you disagree with somebody theologically, politically, whatever, can you disagree with somebody and still care for them and be civil and loving, not just civil loving. Can you still, can you, can you, we love to talk about humility and like lowering ourselves in the Christian paradigm. Can you lower yourself and go, you know what? this relationship is not about me pulling this person into a certain moral system or way of thinking. This relationship is about relationship. You know what I mean? And so I would interpret that to, to say the depth of your quote unquote love is so limited when you have an agenda. Okay. Pastor. When you have an agenda, you aren't loving someone like you love your best friend or like you have, you you care for someone deeply. I can't love my wife very well if I have an agenda with her all the time. If you're always trying to fix her. Yeah. Yeah. So right. what if we got rid of the agenda and just cared about each other? What if we did have a disagreement with someone being gay or, or queer or lesbian or whatever, but yet we didn't care and actually just cared about them. <laughs> and on, I mean, on, and on one hand, like, yeah, absolutely. Like it sounds, it sounds really nice. On the other hand, I mean, at, at some point we're always going to hit a line. Sure. Right. And, and when it comes down to issues of, of sin and what we define as actual sin, and then what we believe about sin, like at some point there is always going to be that line. Sure. Right? Yep. We can't get away from that line. 
And so there, there are very few people that, as being someone who's been on the other side of those conversations many, many, many times, I can only think of one or two people of where I genuinely know there's not an agenda. Mm. But that's because we can acknowledge that at some point, if we start talking long enough, we're going to hit that line. <laughs> right, right. But in some ways, it doesn't matter, like what you just said. Like that, that line gets to the point of where it, it doesn't matter. But those are like, I can think of one pastor specifically who is a very dear friend of mine. He has done a whole lot of his own work. <laughs> to be able to even to be able to get to that point so I, I think what i'm trying to say in that is like too often i think we can kind of escape to this like well why don't we all just kind of get along no matter what we believe which is a beautiful vision mm. i think it's possible to okay. a point and if we're talking about issues of justice and harm we're talking about lives being taken we're talking about you know, like actual impact on actual people. Yeah. We have to fall on one side or another at some point. Hmm. That's actually really profound. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> Thank you for having grace with me enough to say that. Cause that that's huge for me, man. That's huge for me. I think, I think I teeter on, on the, um, I think I hang out in that spot where I just, I kind of do what you just described. I, it's, it's not that I don't have my mind made up on certain issues. It's that I never, I grew up in such a hardcore environment where I saw the issues becoming the main thing that I guess as I got older, like I never wanted the issues to become the main thing. And so sometimes that for me, and maybe even to a fault as I'm listening to you describe this, that's meant not being honest about my position. And I'm not even just talking about matters of sexuality, identity. I'm just talking about anything. Right. But it's, I think there's some, there's something to be said about what, what you just mentioned. And that is sometimes we do have to pick a line. And I'm not even necessarily talking from a kind of moralistic, good, evil kind of conversation. I think I'm, cause I don't, I mean, this may, who knows what people will think of this statement. I don't think Christianity is a religion of morals. I don't. I don't think Jesus or God is in, is in the morality business necessarily at all. But with that aside, <laughs> I think we're talking about very practical lived experience to a point here. Because I think what ends up happening is then we start having these, these welcoming but not affirming churches. These churches of where yeah. we're saying everyone is welcome come to us. We are here for you. And we have pastors reaching out to queer people and saying, our church is here for you. We want you in our pews and in building what can be very genuine relationships all the way up to the point of where then this queer person joins this church and, and says like, okay, I'm in here. I am. And then they say, okay, so I want to serve on leadership. Mm-hmm. or I want to be a part of this church in a more tangible way other than just giving money. And then you have a pastoral team backing up and saying, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah. And we start running into those lines. 
And if you have a year or two of relationship built up with a person and then you all of a sudden say, well, actually, no, we do think you're living a sinful life. And in order to be on pastoral leadership here or in order to, you know, even be in the nursery or so on and so forth, you would need to renounce this part of yourself and live a celibate life. And a lot of times for a lot of churches, even that isn't enough. Um, that's some relational carnage that starts happening. Mm-hmm. And it gets nasty really quickly. And like, that's the kind of trauma that keeps me in business as a therapist. Well, I haven't fully fleshed out the idea, but I, I've said before, like that I think that some churches that refuse to take a stand um, are, are sometimes doing more harm than good. Like Absolutely. what's funny is at least you, Matthias, as a gay man, if you go to one of the churches from, from the world I grew up in, you know, beforehand what to expect. Like you're not going to go there with any naive sense of, well, maybe they'll get over it and they'll accept me. Like, you know, like maybe they'll be nice to you and civil. And I'm not saying everyone's going to like beat you down or anything like that, but, right, right. but you know where you stand as it pertains to that. Mm-hmm. And so you're the, you're not going to really be super hurt. Like if you go visit that church, like, right. because you're not going to choose to align with them probably. Right. Whereas you go to some of the churches that, that we've also been a part of, like kind of outside of that realm. And it is the churches where with all the right, you know, the signs that say you belong here. Welcome. All are welcome. Come just as you are. Everybody, you know, all, all this stuff. Dude, how traumatic, like you've already gone through this whole experience of like figuring out all of that mm-hmm. as a young man or young woman. And then you finally get to the point where you're like, you know what? I, I think that these, this church might, they might believe in me and be for me and support me. And then boom, the door slammed, you know, on that idea. That's, I don't, I don't know if we, if we've really, as a church culture, if we've really considered that the way that we need to. Yeah. Well, they're going to have to at some mm-hmm. point. <laughs> right. I mean, for me, and for me, it's an honest, it's a, it's a matter of honesty and integrity of, of if LGBT people cannot serve in your church in what, in whatever format, if like, if it, if a queer person can't be your lead pastor, then you need to tell people that. Right, you need to have that clear. Because otherwise, when you're saying all are welcome here, you're not being honest. And there's a huge lack of integrity there. And and then if you're not comfortable saying blanket statement, not inviting queer people who reach out to you via email for coffee. <laughs> that's not it. But saying that clearly in publicly available places. If you're, if you're not comfortable being that clear, then you need to start wrestling with yourself about what do you actually believe? Because if it feels uncomfortable to sit on your website, like queer people can't be pastors here. And to be able to say that with a level of conviction and honesty. If you're not comfortable saying that publicly, <laughs> then what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, we've, we've found, you know, when I say we, I'm, I'm talking about church people. We've, we've found a, the art of kind of pleasing everyone, you know, saying everything without saying anything. 
And you know what's really sad? As you were saying that, I was thinking, I don't think a lot of those churches or those pastors would see it as a matter of integrity, not because they don't know right from wrong, but because they genuinely, they don't, they don't see that in them. You know what I mean? They don't see that. They don't and see they it as a get everybody in the doors. Get yeah. People in the doors. And there's still this belief. I think that, that either queer folks aren't actually Christian or that if, if they come into the doors and actually get involved with the church then the church will help change their convictions and, and they'll get on board with a, with a, a quote unquote right belief system. And therefore it won't even be an issue. Um, both of which are wrong. Mm-hmm. So this is a rough transition. So pardon me for this, but <laughs> I was thinking about your book a second ago, the most recent. Yeah. You've written a couple books, right? No, just one, just one right now. Is it just one? Uh-huh. Well, I you're going to write two. What yeah. I have, I have more in the works. So, <laughs> okay. Okay. Maybe, maybe you told me that and that's what I was thinking. I don't remember, but tell us a little bit about your book. Tell us uh, where we can find you. Yeah, so so the book Beyond Shame, uh, it, it's for folks. So it's, it's it's not written just for queer folks. Uh, it's published by Christian publisher uh, Fortress in, in Minneapolis, and very specifically wrote it as not a queer book talking about queer sexuality. So Beyond Shame, creating a healthy sex life on your own terms, uh, and it's for folks who grew up with impurity culture or who grew up in this kind of uh, really repressive uh, world of sexuality who are struggling with sexual shame then. And it, and it works with these, how do, how do we actually work with the sexual shame we've been given from, from those cultures? And then how do we move beyond it into actual healthy sexuality? Hmm. What does that even look like? What does that even mean? So, so that's the book. You can buy it wherever you buy books. And is it an my audio book pod- by any chance? There's not an audio book. They they haven't let me do an audio book yet. So yeah. I'm hoping it's coming. <laughs> but so awesome. far, it'd be nice. It'd be nice. Yeah, and then and then queerology. It's it's a interview based podcast. Uh, I take on a very therapisty role in the sense of I don't share a whole lot of myself in the show, but it's, it's interviews with, I mean, we're just about to hit episode a hundred uh, wow. and with tons of different folks who sit at these intersections of being a person of faith, most of them Christian and queer in one way or another. And we start with the question, how do you identify? How has your faith helped form that identity and go from there? Wow. And it's a lot of fun. Um, that sounds like a lot of fun. That's cool. That is really cool. I, I have a lot that, that I'm processing right now. Like I usually process information pretty fast, but you've said some things and I'm like, man, I really want to sit on that for a little bit. Like I really want to consider the weight of the experience of others that I don't understand at all. You know, I want to consider that. I want to consider some of the hard things that you and people like you have had to go through and think about and stuff that I've never even had to think about. It's so wild. So I'm just, I guess I'm just thankful that, that you opened up some time to chat with a couple knuckleheads like us and hopefully we don't sound too dumb for not knowing things. No, this has been a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun. I, I have, I have I one thing. Yeah. Oh gosh. What's he about to say? <laughs> Great. 
<laughs> so I, I have a, a one of my really good friends. He <laughs> his uh, his daughter's a lesbian, and he has consistently told me that if I was gay, that I would be a bear. Oh yeah, that's true. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> wait, Just do you not big and hairy? Is that wait, it? wait, 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 wait. Nichols, do he you know what that calls means? Me like Matt the Bear, and we oh, can edit this so out funny. if we have to. I love it. Do you know what that means, Nichols? I think it means that I'm just big and hairy. Oh, I have no clue what that means. Okay, okay, yeah. So I mean, among gay men, there there are kind of qualifiers as to or different kind of categories, groups. Um, <laughs> We're learning it's, today. It's often a, a, a <laughs> preference thing. Okay. Um, okay. And when you hear that, hear the undertones of what I'm saying. Um, and so, there, I mean, there's bear, there's twink, there's otter, there's, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a whole list. Oh. Um, and it has a lot to do with kind of body types that you fit into. And so, okay. so bear is definitely kind of larger, hairy guys who are a little bit older. Yeah. <laughs> I love that the minute Nichols said that, Matthias <laughs> looked at you and he goes, oh, yeah, 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 for sure. You'd be a bear. <laughs> Because I do, I'm six three, almost three hundred pounds, like yep. hairy dude. That's yep, hilarious. Yep, yep. yep. That's hilarious. <laughs> he calls me Matt the Bear half the time, so I that's love hilarious it. that I now that's know so the funny. context. Yeah, I so figured funny. that's what it was. Dude, and here's my problem: is that every time we talk to a guest, they'll say something that that piques my curiosity. And so what happens is, tonight I'll be googling this stuff, <laughs> and there's no telling. <laughs> like, do I need to be careful? <laughs> I would be careful if I were you. Yeah. Just depending, <laughs> on what you, just depending on what you want to see. Like, but there are also, yeah, you Google it. Stay, stay on the, use your discernment. So what, what would that be? Oh, we're doing this. <laughs> yeah. I want to know. This feels super weird. Otter? I don't know. I would, I would put him in, in the berry otter kind of categories. In, You're in just saying that because I have a beard sense. right now. To, to a point, maybe. Yeah. It could be the beard. Yeah, and I've gained some weight, but you didn't know me when I was skinny. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I, I can't oh, tell I if this, this conversation, conversation, I feel like thrilled and like kind of nervous because <laughs> I don't know if this is okay. It's so funny. It's, it's fine. <laughs> We're just a couple of nervous straight white guys. That's hilarious. All right. What a way to end. Well, Matthias, thank you so much for hanging with us, man. I'm really excited to put this out there and, more excited to read your book. I'm going to go buy that here really soon. So yeah, I'll be curious to hear what you think. Oh dude, I'll definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah I've been on a reading frenzy and I've, I'm trying to read more than just like what, what I would say is normal to me. Like, you know, even with all this stuff going on in our culture right now, I've, I've ordered some books about black culture and black history and just trying to understand better. So I think everyone should do that. I think, totally. I think we all need to sort of explore and listen a little bit more. Absolutely coming from a guy who talks nonstop. So. <laughs> well, for I mean, real, thank it's been you, so man. much fun. Yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. All right, man. Well, we will talk to you soon. And, yeah. and uh, thanks again, Matthias. Yeah, thank you. Yeah.